Let us join together in prayer. O oh God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we give thanks for your spirit among us. Open our minds and our hearts for what you have for us this day. Amen. If I were to give you my family history, it would probably fit on one sheet of paper if I used large print. So when I entered marriage into an ethnic Mennonite family, you can appreciate my surprise at seeing volumes of family history on the shelf of my in-laws. I was amazed by the work of several relatives who took on the family history role of keeping up with dates of marriages, birth of children, and death data in the family books. So last weekend, on our trip to Arizona for a family wedding, one of the side conversations was about who was going to get the painting of the ship. The two logical members seemed to be Ken and his brother Paul. Paul won. The oil painting of the SS Teutonia ship had been on the wall of various family members and now needed to be passed on. This is the ship that brought many of Ken's relatives from Russia in 1874. Life for the Russian Mennonites was moving away from the freedom that they had enjoyed. It was becoming dangerous to stay. There was pressure to serve in the Russian military. So they were seeking to find religious freedom where they could live out their beliefs around nonviolence. The picture of the ship reminds me of a trip we took a few years ago to New York where we took a harbor tour that took us to the Statue of Liberty and then to Ellis Island. We slipped our tape recorders over our shoulders and began listening to the voice of Tom Brokaw as he led the self-guided tour through the building. The story of ships arriving on a regular basis with immigrants from around the world was a marvel. However, it was while standing before a display of trunks and luggage that for various reasons had been left behind that the power of people's stories began to feel in a, a deeper way. The waiting room had been restored as historically accurate as possible. Benches were positioned as they were in the day when people waited with a great deal of anxiety, waiting to pass their physical exams, waiting to have the power of a certain stamp stamped on their documents, waiting for a sick child to be released from the infirmary in order to begin their transition to find a job, home, schools. And like today, there were the tragic stories of those who had been turned away and who left, left with dashed hopes and an unknown future. One of the profound pieces of that tour is the underlying murmur of voices as Tom Brokaw is speaking. People speaking in many different languages, including the cries of an infant. 
The power of that tour was palpable as we touched the lives of many of our forefathers and foremothers who came with all the hopes and dreams for a new beginning. It was a site where the opportunity for freedom was tenaciously clung to as people endured countless hours, days, and nights, sometimes months, on Ellis Island before being released to move on or to face the devastation of having to find a way to return to their country. What we are left with are pictures, memorabilia, and stories. Today we come together to recapture a profound experience out of our faith album. On this Sunday, churches all over the world are celebrating the birthday of the church, Pentecost. If we could return to that upper room and pay our $30 for a self-guided tour and put on our headsets and listen to a narrator walk us through the stories and memorabilia of that incredible day, we would most likely be listening to someone with a voice like Morgan Freeman offering us a historical overview. Jesus' followers, referenced in today's text, number about 120. The group has gathered in Jerusalem to participate in the process of filling the vacancy on the Board of Apostles left by Judas Iscariot's departure. I've always been intrigued by the process by which they replaced Judas. The final choice was made by prayer and the casting of lots. Those gathered were there to celebrate the Jewish Thanksgiving Feast of Weeks, later called Pentecost. This was a major celebration, one of the three obligatory feast days of the year. And I can picture them streaming into the city, all setting up camps, building fires to cook, creating a virtual food court, as the aromas of various cuisines wafted over the crowds. As scholar and priest Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, there's only one group missing, a small band of orphaned disciples who are not walking the streets at all, but are huddled together behind locked doors for fear of their enemies. For all practical purposes, they and their movement are dead, leaderless, powerless, visionless, the sole survivors of a catastrophe that has robbed them of their future. The world has become a frightening place for them, and they have barricaded themselves against it believing that their own safety lay in sticking together, locking their doors, and keeping everyone else out. These folks had been on an incredible roller coaster ride. They had been through the excitement of Palm Sunday. They had struggled with Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. They were torn by the women's stories of finding nobody in the tomb, along with their grief over the scandal of Judas. 
It was in this house where they had gathered that there came the sound of a rushing wind. I love Clarence Jordan's cotton pot patch version of Acts where he states that what they heard was a rumbling like a tornado. They were stunned to see what appeared like tongues of fire on each one of them. And the text tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages. I imagine that there were an incredible number of emotions that played out in that event. Terror, panic, energy, awe, reverence, and perhaps fear. Fear that the fire would consume them. The Holy Spirit created a movement through speech and the ability to bridge through multiple languages. With the dynamics being played out in that walled-off room came the skeptics that treated the incident as a frat house gone wild. They were accused of being drunk at 9 a.m. What we are given is an account of empowerment. It is a transformation story. Another name for the spirit is advocate. Not many weeks before, Peter had allowed himself to be intimidated by a servant girl in a courtyard. He denied even having known Jesus. But on this day, the power or advocacy of the Spirit gave him a spine. He boldly stood up to the critics and offered an interpretation regarding the profound experiences that they had all just shared. He preached utilizing the words and promises of the ancient prophet Joel. Living in that same city, where folks who had immigrated from areas of the Roman Empire to the north, east, south, and west. Areas of the Roman Empire, part of Jerusalem, they would have all spoken Greek, but the power of Pentecost enabled them to hear the story of Jesus in their own mother tongues. Out of the outcomes was a new spirit of generosity and openness that was forged among the believers. We're told that after being filled with the Holy Spirit, that they began to share all things in common. There was a heightened ability to communicate. There was a desperate and deepened sense of boldness and courage and a new capacity to share. Their Pentecost experience opened them to the reality that the way of Jesus was to be shared with all people. It broke all the rules about who was included and who was excluded. It demanded that they all get involved. It pushed them to rethink, reclaim how they were to do ministry. And as always, we are all invited into the story. So how does this ancient, ancient text relate to us? Years ago, the United Church of Christ 
ran a series of TV ads that ended with, God is still speaking. And as I was wrestling with this text, I felt like we could benefit from hearing, and the spirit is still moving. I can identify with the disciples banded together sharing tears and Kleenex, all sharing the pain of grief and feeling unready to face life. Following two years of having life shut down in so many ways with COVID, we kept Zoom going while many of us eventually made it back to the meeting house. And then we have been dealing with so many losses among our membership. There has been the grief within not only the whole church, but it has been a profound loss in those small groups where there now is an empty seat at the table. And added to that has been the shock and horror of the gun violence in our nation. The litany doesn't end. Sandy Hook, Charleston, Orlando, Las Vegas, Parkland, Buffalo, Uvalde, Tulsa. It's overwhelming. And all of this while we face the nightly news regarding the war in Ukraine, and we're not even talking about climate change. Anne Lamott, in her book, Dusk, Night, Dawn, calls this the existential exhaustion. It's challenging. It's very challenging to not let numbness set in as an escape. The biggest lesson for me coming from this ancient story is risking accepting the courage, courage offered to us while listening for the Spirit's leading. Pentecost is about claiming the tools of speech, empowerment, and the desire for each of us to discern what we've been called to do, perhaps in ways we have never done before. The first Pentecost broke all the rules about who was included and who was excluded. The good news is for everyone. It demanded that they all get involved. It pushed them to rethink, relearn, reclaim how they did ministry. Pentecost does not have to be a rather unusual story that we read through once a year. It can and does represent the power that we have been offered if we will only trust it and listen for how we are to dare to step out. Just as the disciples were in the waiting, so we are in the waiting. We are waiting for the next pastor of community life and outreach. We are waiting for the search committee to do their job of listening to the Spirit's guidance as to who is the right match for this congregation in this season of our life together. We are waiting for all the details to come together before our first week of September in hosting families who need a safe place to be sheltered and fed. 
We are waiting for the Spirit's direction as to how we are to learn and grow in our understanding of how to be more inclusive. We are tending to the grief work of our own community as we have dealt with so many losses. One of my ways of coping has been to take time, especially at night, to offer my gratitude to God for all that I am grateful for that day. I also give thanks for the work of so many, so many in our community, those working on Family Promise. I give thanks for the ongoing work of those who are seeking to pass legislation around mandatory background checks for those buying weapons. I give thanks for TK, LaVon, and Chris, who represented us in Kansas City around issues of inclusion and told their stories that made a difference in our Mennonite denomination. I give thanks for those working on racial justice issues. I find that offering thanks to God helps keep me grounded and is supportive when I find myself succumbing to the temptation to be swallowed up by my fears. To remember Pentecost is to renew our hope. To claim Pentecost as our heritage is to move towards fulfilling our hope and belief that our community of faith has a mandate to listen and act upon the Spirit's guidance. May we dare to step out in faith with great courage to say yes to God's call. May it be so. Amen.